You're listening to Transform Your Profits, the podcast for accountants who want to build a more profitable, successful, and impactful accounting firm. Your host is Reza Huda, a practice owner, mentor, and coach to accounting firm owners. Hello, hello. Hope you're doing well. I've had a good start to the day. So I have just spent the morning, as I do, in a coffee shop, a new one this time. Normally I go to the same one which was near my gym called the OT Goat. Uh, very nice coffee shop and very convenient. I go to the gym and then I come downstairs and it is literally just there before I uh, am my car in the car park. So again, no friction required, cutting down the process, cutting down time, being efficient and all that. So it works out quite well. But this morning I had a dentist appointment uh, in Portsmouth. So I thought, well, rather than go to, uh, and again, because I go to a franchise gym, I go to Anytime Fitness, normally go to the one about uh, 10 minutes away or five minutes away from the kids at school. So the routine is drop them off to school, go to the gym, do my workout, come down, go to a coffee shop, do my deep work until at about this sort of time, which is just before one o'clock around quarter to one, and then head into the office for my meetings and my Zoom meetings, which take place from 1 p.m. onwards. But given that I was in Portsmouth, I thought, well, let me try out another coffee shop. Always good to spice it up, isn't it? A bit of variety, the spice of life. So there is a, and Portsmouth has some kind of quaint coffee shops. I do like what the independent uh, coffee shops rather than the chain. So where I can, I try and go to the independents because, well, it's just, they're just nicer, aren't they? And uh, and serve it better coffee than the chains. But if I was to go to a chain, then my preference would be Starbucks generally over Costa. But uh, yeah, if I can, where I can, I'd go to an independent. Anyway, the place called Garage Lounge, a uh, really nice place in Portsmouth. I haven't been for a while. So I went in there and had a second room, which is fairly empty rather than the front room. So I went in there because the weather's going to be chilly and did a bit of work for two or three hours working on my book, working on a chapter of my book, which I'm going to talk to you about. But uh, yeah, had a couple of uh, Cortados. They serve breakfast as well. So a couple of fried eggs on toast as well, which was nice. A uh, bit of a treat. And um, yeah, so the so anyway, on to the subject of today's podcast, which is all about capturing the value that we create through our pricing, because pricing is exactly that. Pricing is all about capturing a share of the value that we create, because there's no correlation between costs and price. There's no correlation between time and price. There is only a correlation between price and value in terms of whatever someone is prepared to pay will always be based upon the value they perceive they are going to get. Remember that calculation, the only calculation going on in our customer's mind, in our minds, before we buy anything is, is the price I am paying less than the value I think I am getting? And if it is, I buy. If not, I don't. So the reason for doing this podcast actually is that uh, my head is hurting because I am at the stage now where I'm self-editing the book. So I've written around 100,000 words. I know I need to cut that down. And I've got a meeting with my book coach in a couple of days. And what I'm doing is I'm going back to the beginning and rewriting some of the sections, some of the chapters by reviewing the comments that my book coach made last time around so I can have another conversation with her because I've got a couple of sessions left. So I thought I would use them 
for the purposes of re uh, for her reviewing my chapter again a rewritten chapter based upon what uh, what changes i put through based upon her comments and i just wanted to vocalize this to you a to actually get my own thoughts clear in terms of what i need to say because i'm having a, a tough time trying to really hone in on and really self-edit my work and you know when you write something down you're really you're really tied to it and it's hard to uh, delete sections it's hard to rewrite things because once you've written something down it's like you know there's, there's a real pull it, it's, it's hard work and if you've written you know if you spend lots of time writing something you've written a big blog post out or in my case when you've written a whole chapter and then to go through and actually take out chunks of it or rewrite big chunks of it is is hard work i'm finding so anyway what i wanted to do is just to uh again kind of consolidate my own thoughts by talking to you about what is what is capturing a share of the value we create all about so my first couple of chapters i talked about what is value well the first chapter i talk about so just to give you an insight of the book my first chapter is all about banishing the myths to do with pricing so in that i talk about everything to do with uh, you know time-based billing and why it's wrong and really kind of explaining all the reasons why we shouldn't be doing it and the rationale behind it to banish all myths that exist out there in the way that it's always been done in terms of associating the value of what we do to the units that we put on a timesheet or the time that we spend so really getting that out of uh, the reader's head once and for all that's the first chapter then the second chapter was all about understanding that the value that we as accountants create and i liken value to an iceberg so listen to this so i appreciate it's been a bit of a ramble until now but now i'm getting into the good juicy bits so have a listen to this is that the analogy i would use to describe the value that we create is an iceberg so if you think about what an iceberg is you uh, you know uh, the iceberg is <laughs> the majority of the iceberg is below the surface right and what you see of the iceberg is above the surface so value is a bit like that in terms of i split value between actual value and perceived value now even this term actual value i'm i may change that definition because actual is a bit of a woolly word as my book coach says so i'm i'm trying to figure out if there's another way of saying actual value if you've got any ideas do let me know but essentially actual value is all the stuff below the surface this is all the value that we as accountants actually deliver to our clients so this is all the stuff to do with what really matters to our client what are the benefits that we produce to our client and ultimately they revolve around four main value drivers which i've talked about before value drivers or value umbrellas i've referred them to them before all the things to do with how clients get benefit from working with us and how do they get benefit from working with us well there are some universal benefits that all clients want from us from accountants and that is and not just from us but from anything that they invest their money into anything that we buy uh, we we do so to get one of these four benefits and they are we want more time for ourselves we want more money we want less pain or we want more pleasure and those are kind of the four value drivers the four value umbrellas where anyone selling anything you can summarize and group everything that you do into one of these four value drivers or value umbrellas that either that your customers are getting from what you do from your product you sell the service you sell more time more money less pain more pleasure so that's kind of the stuff below the surface that's what we actually do for clients when they come on board with us but the thing is that clients 
won't be able to feel that. Clients won't experience the actual value of working with you until they come on board as a client. So the only thing they have to go on before they decide to work with you is perceived value. So think about the iceberg analogy. Perceived value is what the client sees of the iceberg before they commit to working with you. So this is the, the stuff that's above the surface. This is the stuff that the client can see, feel, touch, but in our case, a lot of what we do, you know, is not tangible. We don't sell a tangible product as such. So they can't touch what we do, but they can certainly experience, they can perceive, they can uh, judge, they can uh, based upon look and feel. And that's why we've talked about the importance of look and feel before the context in which we sell, the projection that we give, the look and feel matters, the experience that a client has before they actually commit to working with us. Those are the things like, you know, just very quickly, you know, the estate, the, what does your office look like, the experience of booking a call with you, the experience of having that value conversation with you, that initial meeting, all of these things matter when a client is figuring out whether to work with you, whether they think they're gonna get value from you or not. Uh, another big one is, whether the client perceives that they're going to get, uh, that you understand them, that, you know, when you're a specialist, automatically the perceived value of working with you is greater because you are a specialist. So these are all things above the surface. And these are all things that we can work on to increase the surface area of what a client sees of the iceberg above the surface before they commit to working with you. So that was chapter two. Chapter three that I'm working on now initially was called creating a pricing structure or creating a pricing system. Because pricing again is all about taking a share of the value we create. So in chapter two, I talk about everything to do with the actual value and the perceived value of working with us. So once we've done that, how do we now put a, put a number on it? Essentially, you know, that is the number one question that's going through our minds when we are going to price anything. What number should I put on it? And it's a very valid question. What number do we put on it? And that number is highly subjective because as we have deduced and as I talked about in the last chapter, that value is subjective and value does differ from client to client. But once we understand from a client's perspective what value means and how would we increase the perceived value of working with us, then the actual number is a mixture of having a system and essentially testing, testing what numbers works and getting to the maximum willingness to pay of a customer. So you've probably heard this before and maybe some people have got you to believe that this is, you know, this is some, you know, uh, trickery or, you know, manipulation. It's not. How is this? This is, this is what working out what value means to a customer is all about. It's all about maximum willingness to pay. And as long as you are presenting the price to a client before they commit to working with you, which is what I highly recommend you do, which is what we must do, because the last thing a client wants is to be hit with a bill that they were least expecting, a surprise bill, and that was part of uh, what I talked about in my first chapter about banishing all these myths to do with uh, pricing based upon time. If you present a price to a customer before you do the work, it is up to them whether to accept that price or not. Now, with anything we buy, there is always going to be a maximum willingness for us to pay. And that maximum willingness for us to pay will be based upon the value that we perceive we will get. So if I'm walking into Starbucks and I see that's the price, then and I will make a judgment based upon, am I happy to pay £2.80 
£3 for that particular coffee because that's the price that's being asked of me. And I'll make a judgment whether that represents value for me or not. If suddenly they hike the price up to £4, I may still pay, I may not. But for Starbucks, it's all about testing. You know, they will test their prices. They will gradually increase their prices and to work out whether clients are, are willing to pay these prices or not. And and that's where positioning comes in. The more you position yourself as more high-end, as more premium, as more specialized, then you'll be able to get a higher and higher price for what you do. Because remember, clients are not price sensitive. They are value sensitive. You know, I could pay... I did a post on going into Harrods about a year ago and paying, you know, seven pounds for a coffee that I'd normally pay three pounds for in Starbucks. Why did I do that? Because that was the price and, you know, I, I wanted a coffee and I wanted to experience it and I sat down and it was my choice. I knew what the price was before I was going to pay it and the fact that I sat down and accepted that price means that I'm not being manipulated, I'm not being ripped off because I have agreed to sit there and I have agreed to pay that price for that particular coffee in Starbucks, even though in Harrods, even though it's double the price, what I'd normally pay for pretty much the same coffee in uh, in Starbucks Costa or another independent coffee shop. So this maximum willingness to pay concept, don't let anyone tell you that it's manipulation because it's not. Because as long as you're giving a price before you do the work, then it's not manipulation. And this is exactly what uh, we need to do. We need to get better actually getting to what is the maximum willingness to pay for a customer, actually understanding what that is. And that's why, you know, understanding the value drivers, understanding what drives value, getting driving up perceived value means that we will be able to charge more because the perceived value of clients is going to be higher. And that's why most of the time when you, I work with accountants and we go through the methods to reprice, that when you reprice clients, ultimately most of them will stay with you because the price that you are now asking them to pay, even though it's a lot higher than what they were paying, they can still see value in what you do. So you've been undercharging. Because the thing is, to truly find out what a client's maximum willingness to pay is, the only way to find it is to ask them. But the problem is, if you ask them, then they're never going to tell you the truth. No one's actually, if I walked into Starbucks and there was no price list and they just said to me, okay, well, you know, this is what we do. How much are you willing to pay? I will never tell them the truth. I will never say, yeah, I'm happy to pay, you know, five pounds, six pounds for coffee. I'll probably come up with a lower figure if I'm being asked what my maximum willingness to pay. That's the first reason that we're never going to tell the truth if we're asked. Uh, because, you know, we can't operate in kind of an auction type environment for the stuff that we do. And that's kind of a true kind of, you know, that's that's where the true maximum willingness to pay comes out when you're having an auction where it's an open auction. There's something on sale and there's people bidding because there is limited supply of that particular product that, you know, the maximum, the high, the you know, the highest bidder wins, essentially. But we can't replicate that in terms of the services that we do. So it's up to us to uh, understand the value drivers and then come up with a price that is a price that we can ask that you know we we learn through testing whether that price is being accepted or not then we get bolder more confident we understand that actually you know if this is our value our value lies in the specialism and therefore we can charge a higher price and again it's all about testing and then using uh, psychology like magic of three and things like that but Coming back into the meat of the chapter, um, what uh, what I'm looking to put in the chapter is or the rewritten chapter now. So I've already written it once, but it was mainly around coming up with a pricing system. 
But I felt I needed to take uh, add a sort of a preamble into that before we come onto the pricing structure and actually talk about there are four stages actually of the there are four opportunities four further opportunities that we have of actually increasing the perceived value of our offering before we get to the price so if you think about the iceberg the iceberg is all a client has to go on before they uh, agree to a price of working with you but there are stages in that process as well so uh, there will be a stage where the client is looking into a solution so bear with me here because I'm kind of I'm coming on to some nuggets and I appreciate this might be a difficult episode to understand because I'm you might feel I'm all over the place but there'll be some gems in it okay <laughs> for you so the iceberg let's talk about the iceberg the perceived value of a client is what they see that will be driven by your positioning how well positioned are you in the marketplace what value have you given in advance that the client will perceive you as an expert over and above other solutions that they have open to them that will be one of the key drivers so if you think about kind of a scale so a client in terms of how do we get as close to the maximum willingness to pay for a client there is a scale that they go through and uh, what analogy can we use here? Maybe use a thermometer, right? Where Because the, the temperature of that thermometer can rise. So let's say the maximum willingness to pay for a customer is, you know, somewhere near the top, but it starts off, it starts off, you know, fairly, fairly cold, you know, maybe lukewarm, and we can get them hotter and hotter and hotter to, to, to actually rise that temperature up, to increase that maximum willingness to pay before we actually reveal our price. So there are things we can do to drive up that maximum willingness to pay before we reveal the price. Now here's where I'm grappling a bit because there's a spectrum. There are some accountants you'll see that put prices on the website. So what that does is there, once you put the price on the website, that's it. The client has seen that price and they're making judgments in their mind as to whether that price represents value for money or not. Now, that can work, but that can only work in, for the vast majority of you listening to this, that putting a price on the website, I don't believe is a, is a, uh, is a good strategy. Sorry, my headset's just falling off, just adjusting my headset. Oh, there we go. And the reason being is that putting a price on a website anchors you to that particular price. So if your sales process, so if the way clients buy from you is in the following method so if the way clients buy from you it is uh, as follows through this method that clients get in touch you arrange a meeting either a zoom call or an in-person meeting you have an initial meeting with them you have what I would call a value conversation and at the end of that you present your price to them or you have another meeting where you present your price afterwards in that particular meeting because you need some some more information then the price on the website is unhelpful. It's unhelpful because whatever price you put on the website, that's going to anchor their minds. So if you put, even if you put like a from £100 a month or from £200 a month, they're going to be anchored to that price. So if you in the meeting 
that value conversation you have a great meeting with them and then based upon their particular circumstances their scope maybe if you're using software or some other methodology to come up with your price at the end of that particular meeting if the price you put is a lot higher than what you put on the website then they're going to think you're expensive why because you've anchored them to that particular price on the website that's why that's unhelpful where prices on the website can work and this does work for those accountants and this probably won't apply to you because if you're listening to this i'm guessing you're a sole practitioner you're a two three partner firm you're a very you know you're a you're not a you're not a you're not one of these uh a uk let's say in the uk crunch accountants if you've heard of them you know uh, accountants for contractors one man band limited companies or if in the us someone like pilot where you know they can put their pricing on the website they have a different model entirely so if you're not one of those then prices on the website is unhelpful the reason why it works for them is because they've got a kind of a mass market strategy even though it might be a mass market but to a particular target audience particular niche it's still mass marketing to that particular niche and because they're being very select as to who they take on in Mazoom and the UK do this as well that their strategy is all about high volume low cost mostly so for them it's fine because what they need to do is they need to get high volume in. they need to get lots of clients in at scale so what they do is they have a very select niche audience and they only take on board certain clients like for example the woman bad limited companies and what they pre-frame so they actually provide a lot of content a lot of value in advance so they're what that you know what they're doing works because they're they're driving up they're trying to they're trying to they are uh, already showing value to that particular target market by generating content for them so when their target market goes into their website or is looking for solutions they can see that these guys are providing the right type of content they're you know giving them answers to questions they've got calculators they've got lots of value for that particular audience so you know they've driven up value that way and they can then because of their particular strategy of being you know low-cost leadership to a particular select group mass marketing they can afford to do that but for most of us and i'm guessing for you as well that's not our strategy our strategy when it comes to finding clients and pricing up clients is to yes position ourselves as the expert but our process is we would have a conversation with them before we present the price so this is what i'm looking to rewrite now to actually say well before we actually get to the pricing structure these are the ways in which we drive up value because that is needed we need to drive up value before we have the price conversation otherwise there is no context for the client when they're assessing the price that you give them if we haven't driven up value then we're not going to be able to charge as much because pricing is about capturing a share of the value we create right so the more opportunities we have the more we can find ways of driving up that value of increasing the surface area of the iceberg that the client can see above the surface the higher the price that we will be able to charge because we're taking a greater share of the value we create it has to be a win-win remember for us and the client 
So the first opportunity is that preframe, that positioning. So what are we doing externally in terms of our positioning, our specializing? I've talked about this before, the, the content, all that kind of stuff. If you haven't done that, fine. You still have opportunities. You have opportunities to drive up value in the value conversation. You're probably at this stage. If you're a you know a general practitioner, you're probably your main opportunity to drive up value is in the second stage of that process, which is the value conversation. So for you, what you need to work on is that first step of actually driving up more value in advance of the client having that call with you so that they're already higher up that thermometer. They're already warmer. They're already willing to pay a higher price because you've increased the perceived value of working with you through the, your positioning, your content, your specialization, and even the experience of booking a call with you. That's important as well. You know, the look and feel, you know, how easy has it been to book a call with you? What, you know, through Calendly or, or has it been, you know, very old school? What if you're having an in-person meeting? What is the look and feel of your offices like? Things like that. All that stuff matters. Power of context. So the value conversation is the second step. You know, we can, again, we can drive up the perceived value of offering in that value conversation. How do we come across? How do we make them feel? Do we position ourselves as the only solution? And there are ways to do this. And I talk, I've talked about this before. This is part and parcel of what I teach in my uh, in my community as well. We on how to conduct that initial meeting so that the prospect sees you as the solution to their problem. We can increase the perceived value by running that sales meeting, that initial meeting, that value conversation in a way where we position ourselves as the expert, where they see that we have the solution to their problems by actually magnifying the size of the problem, by showing them the cost of not dealing with that problem, by taking them to a desired outcome in a future to show them what is possible through working with us, connecting them emotionally to where they want to get to and ultimately getting them to see that our role as the guide in their story is highly valuable for them because we're positioning ourselves as a solution to the problem. So the value conversation again is another way of increasing perceived value. Then the last step is the price conversation and that is also an opportunity for us to increase perceived value because very few accountants do this and in, in the grand scheme of things yes more and more are doing it now and you're listening to this you're switched on your dynamic you probably are having that price conversation in person with your prospect if you're not then hopefully after listening to this you will do because everybody wants to know the price and you will not know what the client's questions are what their objections are and you'll probably spend time futile time trying to follow up if you don't have that price conversation in person in the prospect with the prospect so we need to have it and that's an opportunity for you to to again increase perceived value because if after that value conversation the client asks how much is it if you can come up with the price there and then that is again going to increase the perceived value they're going to think oh wow these guys are amazing you know i, I wanted a price clients want to know the price just think about when you are buying anything when a tradesman comes round to your house to you know to uh, inspect something you want to know the price yeah you're you value your time and you don't want to wait for a proposal to come through you want them to give you a price and in that process of them asking questions or in our in the way that we do it and you know scoping it out and asking their preferences this is how we figure out what they value this is our opportunity again to figure out what do they value what's their circumstances and there's value in that process we increase the perceived value in that process 
because that's what the customer wants when they see that you can do that you can give them a price there and then you can see that the, they can see that the price is customized is bespokely tailored towards their particular circumstances their particular preferences that's going to drive up value as well which is ultimately going to help you get a higher price for what you do and get them to say yes obviously at the higher price that you want so they're the four stages of uh, ramping up the perceived value of working with you and hence the price that you can charge so the first stage was the pre-framing how your positioning in terms of the perceived value of the offering the second stage is the experience the look and feel of uh, booking a call with you booking that initial meeting the third stage is the value conversation and the fourth stage is the price conversation so once we've done all that then we can present our price in person with the prospect now my first original chapter focused just on this stage but that whole preamble I think I've got it clear in my head now having spoken it through with you which is just as well because I've nearly arrived at the office and that's a long podcast isn't it 28 minutes wow <laughs> much longer than all but hopefully you've got some tidbits from it anyway so to finish off we've got to that stage now we've driven up perceived value as much as we can and we're at that stage now where we take a share of the value we create through our price the price we come up with whether we're using software or not software we need to have a system that we can use whether that's a, a system that gives them three prices or a system that gives them one price that helps them to choose what they want or what they don't want that's how we can again make use of a system that enables us to determine what value means to each individual customer that we work with without asking them what they're willing to pay but we get to as close as possible to what they're willing to pay by taking them through a process in that price conversation by capturing you know the scope we talk about their preferences and at the same time we are differentiating the price based upon the risk and the complexity of the client involved so we make sure that where something's going to be more involved when it's going to take up more of our resources that we are capturing that value that we are providing through our price so hopefully that's given you some food for thought if you've got any questions based upon that episode do feel free to connect with me on linkedin and send me a message otherwise i will pen off for now and go and attend my calls because I've arrived at the office. Anyway, take care and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye for now. I hope you got value from that episode. And if you want to spend more time together, where we go deeper on topics like pricing, marketing, sales, building a team and processes so you can build a firm that is less reliant on you, then come and join the TYP mentoring community. It's my membership program where I deliver practical mentoring sessions from my personal experience of building my practice and share resources that I have created and use in my firm. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel and waste time and money making mistakes like I did. There's an amazing community of 100 plus accountants that you get to meet every week, share challenges, best practices, and use the power of the group to shortcut your learnings. Go to resahooda.com forward slash mentoring to find out more. Thank you for listening. For more free content, videos, and resources, visit www.rezahuda.com. And if you haven't already, come and join the community in our Transform Your Profits Facebook group, where we support each other to build more successful, profitable, and impactful accounting firms.